Now, you might not know a lot about schizophrenia, but you probably know enough to know it's a horrible, horrible illness with, with hallucinations, delusions. Dr. Uh, Dr. Sydney Weikert spoke at the TEDx conference in Sydney yesterday, and, and she is the Macquarie Foundation Chair of the Schizophrenia Research Institute. She's um, uh, lived in Australia since 2006, after well, you'll work out where she's from when she starts talking. And her many years of work on the subject um, and some sort of groundbreaking work that brings us a little bit closer to understanding what the causes of schizophrenia are, really are fueled by a family experience. Her, her twin brother suffered from the illness. And it's a great pleasure to uh, welcome Cindy to the program. Hi, Cindy. Hi, James. Good evening. Thank you very much for coming in. How did, um, how did your TEDx talk go? Um, it went pretty good. I was happy with it. Um, although today I feel like I've been at a storm at sea in a shipwreck and kind of washed up against the beach and it's strangely quiet. So um, overall I'm pleased, but yeah. just recovering, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, a lot of adrenaline on the day. You know, it's a lot of practice and rehearsal and then when you deliver it, you're very nervous, yeah. but uh, and yeah. you think, and afterwards you think, oh, if I could do it again, I'd really nail it. <laughs> now, tell me when you first became aware of of schizophrenia. Was was it because of your brother? Is that how you became aware of it? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even know, you know, what schizophrenia was until Scott got diagnosed uh, around the age of seventeen. Yeah, and and was that diagnosis was that at the uh, period of a long period of not knowing, knowing there was something wrong, but not knowing what it was, trial and error that... Yeah, it was like a couple of years and Scott first started showing signs of withdrawing socially and um, being very anxious at school. And my mom tried to bring him to um, a psychologist at the time and the psychologist says, oh, don't worry, your son's just a little neurotic. Hmm. So, um, you know, I think it was in the... Um, late 70s, early 80s at that time. So there wasn't a lot of information about what the early signs of schizophrenia were. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we know happens before the, you know, frank psychotic symptoms, which are the hallucinations and delusions and the bizarre uh, thought disorder are the social withdrawal and the lack of ability to focus. And so oftentimes you can see, you know, students lose grades in school. So they'll go from an A student to a B student or B student to a C student. And we were seeing all those signs for at least a year before, you know, he got quite, um, you know, acting very bizarrely and, and, you know, saying, you know, very strange things. Like, as I said in my TED Talk, I mean, I could repeat him here if you'd like me to. But Yeah, yeah what? Um, well, he said things to me like, you're not my sister, you're the daughter of the devil. And he told the police in front of my mom that, you know, she's not my mother. My mother is Yoko Ono. I mean, things that were clearly, you know, um, yeah. not in reality, but they were true to him at the time. And, and were they episodes and were there also episodes where he was lucid and, and as he had been? Or That's what I remember. I mean, although, you know, playing with him as a child, we would go swimming and we would have competitions on racing up the mountain to see who could be the first and then racing back down and, you know, always like competing for grades mm. in math. Like I got 100% in algebra and he got 98 and the next year he got 98 and I got 96. And so we were, you know, always like, you know, contemporaries and, and, and you know, playmates and, and rivals. And so to see him kind of withdraw into himself and be lose the ability to interact or, you know, to... Even with you as his twin? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and I would remember going in and, and like knocking on his door and saying, Hey, Scott, how you doing in his room? And he'd be, you know, smoking a lot of cigarettes and have wires kind of going from the turntable up to the wall. And he's, he'd be like, you know, like with little prisms on the, on the playing the records backwards. And I'm getting the messages. I'm getting the messages. And at one point he was actually at his friend's house having a beer. And he said to his friend, he's here. And he said it was um, his idol. Morrison from the doors was with them at the time. So he really, you know, started to get very bizarre, but it's other times he'd be just quiet. So we'd be having dinner and he wouldn't say much or he might be able to contribute in in a reasonable way. But um, yeah. So and, and so now having spent much of your adult life studying schizophrenia, mm-hmm. are you able to explain in words that will understand what he was experiencing? That's quite difficult. I but bet it is. <laughs> I think, you know, one theory that we have is that uh, what's damaged in the brains of people with schizophrenia is these inhibitory interneurons in the cortex. And the, these inhibitory interneurons shape our um, reality and our thoughts and our language. And if you lack in, inhibitory interneurons, you can have neurons that are driven sort of by self-activity or overactive and not attenuated um, by like a reality check. So there could be internally driven hyperactivatable neurons that then can trigger psychotic beliefs and actually uncontrollable release of dopamine such that your bizarre thoughts in disorder or you know delusional thoughts can be um, considered real and, and reinforcing. So, so d- does that mean, you know, we all have daydreams, don't we? And we all uh, have moments where we live in a fantasy world of, of whatever type. Does that mean if you have schizophrenia, it may be that you're unable to test or, or, or continue to have reality checks against that fantasy world? You might just disappear into the fantasy world and think it's real. Wouldn't it be cool if Jim Morrison was here? But that would actually become, seem to become real. Yeah, exactly. It was real to Scott. Yeah. So he didn't really have a way to sort of have that reality checked and say, well, uh, he's not here in the room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so to him, he, it was it was happening. Yeah, yeah. So, Sidney, and when did you decide you wanted to study schizophrenia? Um, when I saw just how sick my brother was and that he wasn't going to get better anytime soon and that, you know, modern medicine, psychiatry, as we understand it, couldn't really fix my brother and restore him to his former self. And mm. I just thought, oh, you know, I was I, I thought initially I'll go in and I'll become a doctor, you know. Um, and then I thought, well, no, there's no medicines out there that I can prescribe. So I have to figure out how the brain works and what's wrong with Scott's brain and then I can help him. Yeah, yeah, because it seems there's been great progress in the diagnosis and treatment of, of depression and of anxiety. I mean, pe- people still suffer from it terribly, but at least there seems that people have a map now as to things that might help. Would schizophrenia, the treatment of schizophrenia, be less less advanced in your opinion? Well, I think because the treatment of schizophrenia hasn't advanced since the 1950s, really, and it's all based on blocking this one receptor in the brain, D2 receptor antagonism, that, um, you know, and that was a chance discovery. So now we have a revolution where we're understanding the biological basis of schizophrenia, and there isn't just one schizophrenia, but there's heterogeneity in the disease, Mm. so that there's different 
root causes into schizophrenia. And that realization has really opened up the door to try to understand and treat schizophrenia more at the biological roots of the disease. Um, So I would say that, you know, when you think contrasting schizophrenia and mood disorders, what happens with people with depression or bipolar, they can be a lot more functional. What we see with schizophrenia oftentimes is these individuals aren't able to resume studies or gain meaningful employment or to have successful, you know, um, social lives or get married and have children, oftentimes the majority of people. So they're actually, it's more dysfunctional. So if you think about, you know, what the medicines are doing, they're dampening down the positive symptoms, the auditory hallucinations or the delusions, but they're not really restoring, you know, the cognition and the motivational issues that people have. And was that the case with your brother from his diagnosis until his death in 2008, that he was never able to sort of lead what we might call a normal life, even even for, for short periods? Um, he spent a lot of time in his room, um, and, you know, he studied a lot of mathematics and calculus and did a lot of reading. Um, but we grew up in a small town. He stayed in that small town and he, you know, really was confined to his room mostly. Um, he didn't want to tell his friends. And so for a long time, I didn't really share, um, his diagnosis with anybody and I didn't want to tell my colleagues about it. Um, so I think that that made his life more difficult because he didn't want to, you know, f- to be able to share that with people. And um, Did so, he appreciate the work you were doing? Did he understand it and yeah, understand what motivated it? Yeah. So at one point, Scott did start feeling better, but usually when he felt better, it was kind of transient, maybe for a few months or a year. And at one point he said, I'd like to come help you and work in the laboratory. And um, so, I, I, yeah, he really um, appreciated what I was doing. And I remember talking to him about some of the work we were doing in Sydney and how we were translating the basic science discoveries into a clinical trial. And, you know, I said, Scott, when we beat this damn thing, you know, we're going to travel the world and you can come with me. And he was, I'll be right there and I'll say, Cindy, I'm here. It's all because of you. And I said, no, Scott, it's all because of you that, you know, we're here doing this. And uh, so I, he was behind me, definitely. I think he missed me, you know, not being close by, close enough to pick up the phone and call when he wanted to. Mm. But um, I think, you know, he understood what I was doing. And um, I just wish that I would have been able to help him um, during his life. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm helping him now by continuing the fight and, you know, by having an opportunity to pay a tribute to him like I did um, on TEDx was was really nice. And, and tell me about the recent advances you've made. Is is it is it towards getting closer to understanding the causes means we may be able to prevent it, or, or we may get closer to a cure? Um, well, I'm of the opinion that we're getting closer to a cure. Uh, I believe that we're on the threshold of a scientific revolution in understanding schizophrenia because um, not just from the work that I'm doing, but from the work that's happening around the world where we're starting to understand these biological subtypes of schizophrenia. And it's not only just the estrogen subtype, if you will, but I think even a larger advance that I recently made that I wasn't really able to get into in the TEDx is that there's a, um, a subtype that seems to have an induction of 
pro-inflammatory cytokines, so neuroinflammation in the brain. And, you know, this fits with some epidemiological evidence and some genetic evidence. And so it's coming from a lot of different fronts, not only from the biology in the blood and in the brain. And I've contributed a piece to that puzzle by showing that there is... um, this uh, increase in uh, inflammatory cytokines. And so that means that we can now look to our neighbors, the immunologists, and see if they've developed drugs that we can repurpose for use in schizophrenia to dampen down the immune system or the overactive immune system or get the balance of the immune system right to see if that's going to bring about benefit. And there are some preliminary results with anti-inflammatory therapies that seem to be providing benefit. And certainly the example of the NMDA receptor auto antibodies is is a major one where actually these people first present with schizophrenic symptoms of hallucinations and bizarre beliefs. And um, if they're treated with plasma electrophoresis or dampening down these autoantibodies, they're cured. So there is a cure for what we would call schizophrenia in our lifetimes. This is, I think, really an amazing time to be doing this kind of research because I think we're at the forefront of a paradigm shift in this field. And I can just feel it. I've been in this field for 30 years. Well, congratulations on on doing that. And I hope you indeed are at the forefront. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. um, It was really interesting to hear about it. Okay, thanks. That is uh, Professor Cindy Weikert, who's the Macquarie Foundation Chair of the Schizophrenia Research Institute, also uh, from Neuroscience Research, the Neuroscience Research Institute.